0: Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Spotlight series. I'm your host, Brooke Ritchie Babbage. Every Tuesday on the regular Nonprofit Mastermind podcast, I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching and leading a high impact nonprofit. This spotlight is a special limited weekly series in which I showcase and celebrate the organizations inside my Impact Accelerator program, lifting up their mission, their work, and their personal stories of leadership. This week, I'm sharing a wonderful conversation with Josie Whittlesey, founder and executive director of Drama Club. Drama Club is one of those truly transformational organizations that when you learn about what they do and the real and lasting changes they bring about in the lives of young people, you feel inspired in the true sense of the word, not just the jargony, I feel so inspired. You feel really moved. Drama Club goes deep into the worlds and lives of young people in the New York City prison industrial complex and uses drama and personal storytelling to unlock and nurture a connection to some bigger vision of what is possible for themselves and for their lives. Josie and I talk about her founding story, about being compelled to do the work that she does, and about the powerful impact that committing to the vision of an organization and following through on that vision can have on the people and communities we work with and serve. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey Josie, how are you? Hey Brooke, I'm pretty good. (laughs) It's good (laughs) to see you. It's good to see you too. I'm really glad we're having this conversation. Me too. Um so I want to start big picture with the mission of your organization both because I always start big picture with the mission of the organization and because <clears throat> I'm really excited for you to sort of articulate what the bold mission of the organization is, because I'm not sure it's always as clear from the name of the organization, just how sort of deep and expansive the work that you do is. So why don't you kick us off with sort of the change that Drama Club creates in the world?
1: Okay, so the mission verbatim is Drama Club consistently cares for youth, especially those who are incarcerated and court-involved by creating space for them to thrive using improv as their guide. Um,
0: Nice. I'm impressed.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That took a lot of work. Um, Still not perfect. But basically um, uh, drama club is like a mobile drama club that goes to spaces where there usually isn't a drama club or sometimes much arts programming at all. And does a pure drama club. It is not drama therapy. It is a pure drama club. A place for people, kids to come and just be nerds. About drama. Yes, love it. (laughs) About drama. We are improv based. Um, We work mostly in places of confinement. So that means detention centers, jails, uh, placement centers where kids have been adjudicated. In those spaces... I sort of learned the hard way that you have kids with limited or varying degrees of literacy. um, Sometimes English is second language, sometimes no English at all. And so improv is the most inclusive of of theater.
0: I was going to ask how was it always from the very beginning was part of the theory of change that you were going to use improv? Or did you sort of evolve into realizing that that was the way to reach the kids you wanted to reach?
1: yeah, no, I definitely learned that the hard way. Um, I figured out pretty quickly that theater games were really popular because there's like they're fun, they're a little rambunctious. Um, the kids we work with in confinement tend to have a lot of like excess energy that they're not having an opportunity to get out. It's sort of like unless you're yeah,
0: absolutely a
1: basketball person, you're probably not getting an opportunity to like get up on your feet and move around and make some sound, you know?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: they try to kind of move, you know, they're trying to keep the kids, you mm-hmm. know, they kind of walk contained, <laughs> contained. Yeah. Combined. Um, So, um, so I started out using scripts. I did the very first summer I used a script and it was, it was great. I didn't run into any problems. And I like supplemented with all these theater games to warm up and connect and get this, all of us get in the same room together and then pretty quickly, I, there was this one kid, I don't remember his name, but he was, he was amazing. And he was so present in our playing period. And then as soon as we pulled out the script, he would jet. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And finally, one of, the, one of the frontline staff pulled me aside, and like, you can't read. And yeah. I was like, wow.
0: Wow. Yep. I was
1: like, we're not doing that anymore.
0: Yeah. Isn't that funny (laughs) how we, it's like, I bet as soon as the person said that you were like, right, of course. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Why Um, didn't I figure that out? Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it wasn't a good feeling at all. Um, And so um, I had done some, so I went to graduate school for acting. um, And so my practice at that point was very text heavy And and a casting director, when I graduated, had urged me to do some improv. And so I took some classes at UCB, but I am by no means an expert. I did like, I think three or four levels of UCB. And so I had some basic trainings, (laughs) Um, but I I did meet a teaching artist who kind of came into my life, who was an incredible teacher of improv. And he taught with me and taught me.
0: There we go. Uh, Love it.
1: And uh, he had... um, this is his name was Arturo And He had this amazing tattoo on the inside of his arm that said "Yes, and." And I'll never forget the day, the first day of spring when he wore a short sleeve t shirt and the kids saw that and they lost their minds. Yes, so yes. Everyone was like, "Oh my god!" It was amazing. Anyway, but he was amazing and he really just taught me how to teach improv.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, and, and it, it is just, just it's become one of the sort of powerful mantras of my life. <laughs> You know,
1: it's incredible, you know, and just about a year ago, this incredible study came out. um, It was in psychology today where that's where I learned about it. Just basically saying that, yes, and the practice of yes, and mitigates trauma in adolescence, which was the most validating thing I've ever read because I, I have seen it over and over again. Yeah, in the classroom. So for someone to be like, we did a scientific study that we put people we put like young people into like MRI or whatever they did, and yeah. like measured brainwaves and whatnot. So the theory basically, in very layman's terms is that the idea of yes, and is that you are accepting your partner's offer, and you're building on it. And you know, when you build on it, that they will then accept what you just said and build on that. And it's beautiful. That, it's beautiful. And what that does to kids who are experiencing complex trauma is it creates an incredibly safe zone where you sort of know, you don't know the outcome, but you know sort of what, how it's going to go. And that is allowing the like new neural pathways to be made in the brain which is why they think it mitigates trauma.
0: It's like safe experimentation. Like you don't quite know what's coming, but you know no matter what, you'll be safe in whatever is coming. Exactly.
1: And it allows the brain to make new connections.
0: I love that. I I wanna just sort of lift up two two things that um, that I'm sort of thinking and engaging with what you're saying right now. One is just this idea of feeling into, growing into, evolving into the theory of change, right? That <clears throat> when we build organizations, when we grow organizations, when we have a mission, um, and this just resonates so much with me, like I started my organization and I, in my head, I'm like, I know what I'm here to do, right? This is the thing, this is the model. And then, it, and then you grow and you lear- learn from the people you're working with. And so I hear that in sort of how, well, your understanding of how to bring about change has grown with the organization. I love that. And then the other thing um, is this idea of, (laughs) and I just think this is fantastic for you, that there's actual data that supports your mission. (laughs) Like you're like, we do this thing and we can show empirically, we can show through our own expertise and just deep knowledge that it works. And also for those of you out there who need to see numbers and you know stats, guess what? There's this deep body research. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> it, yes. When that came out, I was like, thank you,
1: universe. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's right. So what are some of the things? So you talked about improv being sort of the core approach, and you go into these places of confinement um, to run drama programs. Are they year-long? Are they sort of episodic? How do you work with these, with the young people that you work with to bring about the transformation in their lives?
1: So um, as you heard, consistency is one of the first words in our mission statement. And there's a reason for that. So another lesson I learned very in the very first um, cohort that I ever taught, I had this young guy, he was 15 or 16, he was waiting to be uh, Convicted. I think they call it adjudicated with kids. Anyway, so um I, sh- I would show up. I was going two to three days a week for the first summer that I drama club because we were working towards this production. And um every day he said to me, I thought you weren't gonna come back. And <laughs> after a while, I was like, dude, I keep coming back. Like what? Like I was starting to get kind of offended. Yeah. It went on yeah. for months. Yeah. And so we did the first, um, we did the first production and he got like a he got a standing ovation after his big scene in the middle of play it's amazing it's It's incredible and um this was the end of august and then i i knew that he was about to get his sentence and that meant he would be sent upstate and so i finished the production and then of course in my mind i was going to come back the next week and the facility wouldn't let me in they were like well you're done like you're done and i was like oh no 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 like I have to come back. Like I'm, this is a year round thing. And they were like, no, we don't like that. Like we don't think, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I was, I got really agitated because I knew that this kid who had told me every day for two and a half months that he didn't think I was going to come back. Now I wasn't coming back and I didn't get back in for a month. It was, it was very uncomfortable. And I finally got back in and I saw him and he looked at me and he goes, I knew you were coming back and it was like my first major victory. And oh, I was, I was like, just going to say yeah. win. Amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. And I thought, wow, so that kid learned that you can trust people to be consistent. That is one of my biggest misgivings with the system is the inconsistencies. So not always, but a lot of the time you have kids coming in who've already experienced a lot of inconsistency. Mm-hmm volatility, trauma, and then you put them in these places and it's not anyone's like, I don't think anyone's setting out to be, you know, maliciously inconsistent, but everything is inconsistent. Punishment is inconsistent. Reward is inconsistent. People coming in and out of their lives are inconsistent. You know, the system's constantly shifting. Um, and I, when I worked with adults, it was the same thing, which is, you know, and, that is really not helpful for young minds.
0: No, that's and so <laughs> that is putting it lightly. Yeah. It's actually very harmful. It's very harmful. Minds. Yeah.
1: So based on that, and that kid's name was Shaheem. And that based on that response, for Shaheem, that became a core pillar for me, where I was like, we will get in the doors of this place, come rain or shine. Like we will work our absolute hardest. And we have a little, kind of unwritten rule that if you cannot get to do class, we ask, will you let us walk by the housing unit and let us wave and wave. So they know that we were there. Because The kids get it. That. Yeah, the kids get it, right? They they yeah. get that sometimes, but they have to know that we tried. Um, and then there's the other huge piece. Um, one of my funders, kind of my, like my favorite funder, gave me An article. It was actually a study, but it was written in very layman's terms, which I really like. Um, And it was about the the idea that you know it used to be that like the program was the thing to help. Yeah. initiate change. Yep, And then it was kind of like, we think maybe it's the program and the people delivering the program.
0: You think? <laughs>
1: and then this study was basically like, it's the people delivering yeah. the program and the yeah. program is the delivery for yep. transformational relationships. And so yeah. Yeah. that was something else I'd also seen happen in the classroom. So that was another validating piece of the puzzle. Um, so mentorship's a huge, um, piece of what we do. I haven't cracked the nut of what who makes a good mentor. I mean the 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 study that was shared with me gave some pointers, but I never know when I need someone new if they're going to Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, that's like building a team, hiring a new staff person bringing on right. a new board member. I mean, one of right. the gambles we take, and I think it's just higher stakes, right? When we are um, when we are building people into work with our young people, and my organization worked with young people also, that um, there's a, I wouldn't say guesswork. I mean, you can set things up to interview and to train and to orient, but there's still a little bit of, but I don't know really who you are right um and that can feel risky um and can make you feel vulnerable right when you are working with young people how do you navigate that
1: well i have one question <laughs> that i ask that's sort of my north star and all of this i ask somebody somebody well yeah if somebody comes and it's like, I really want to work for this organization, or they were like they were like usually now it's just word of mouth. Like someone's like, hey, have this friend, I think it'd be really great. I ask them, what's the selfish reason that you have for wanting to do this work?
0: That is great. Wow. Do you get really I would imagine you get really interesting responses? Yeah. What would be something that you'd hear that you're like, nope, not the right answer? <laughs> I just want to help. Yep.
1: Then I say, yeah. You don't you don't know why. If you want to help, why do you want to go into these places where you're working with, like, very traumatized kids? Like, what, is, you know what I mean? And if you just want to help, no, that's, like, a total red flag for me. Yeah, you can plant um, a tree. Right. You can go work, you know, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Or if someone says to me, um, I've had people be like, I'm only really interested in working in Rikers Island.
0: Like, ah. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. So I bet, oh, yeah. I mean, it sounds like over the years, like you sort of know what to what to listen for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There yeah. was always, um, for me, because we did resilience-based work, which is, you know, strengths-based. It's about sort of recognizing the inherent strength in young people. A lot of the folks, initially when we had sort of an open volunteer process, one of the red flags was um, anything oriented around like charity. Right, like I want to give back, yeah. which is a beautiful thing to want to give back, totally. right? to want to help, et cetera. But that sort of orientation to the young people, I'm like, oh, that's a power dynamic, particularly around race and class that like we can't perpetuate in our program. So I love that that's the question. That's really powerful.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, why here? Why? In this yeah.
0: Sp- why here? Why these space? kids? Yeah. I why love these
1: kids? Why this space? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so if someone can't answer that, or not really i'm not going to move forward
0: so yeah. you personally have been doing this for a long time how did you come to this work yeah how did you come to this particular organization right this particular theory of change and this mission how did you come to be doing this why why this <laughs> what's my selfish reason what's your selfish reason <laughs> yeah, right.
1: um so the long answer to that is so i was you know i i went. I used to be an actor. I, I got my master's and I was gigging as an actor. And I um I started teaching at, at NYU undergrad. Um and um loved that, just loved that experience and loved teaching. Um and through a series of like events, started thinking about um, what about the young people that don't have access to NYU undergrad? Because at that time yep. <laughs> it was very privileged and very wealthy and very white you know and I was like what well, you know so I just started thinking about that and a series of articles and events and things came into my life and people came into my life and I was really searching for like how do I because I became a total believer in um, theater training be, being great life training yeah. and that being especially yeah. great right around that emerging adult age yes um, and 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 teenagers. I read this article, um, that I now know was written as part of this political campaign. I I think part of this political campaign to shut down some of the, um, placement centers upstate, a 15 year old had been, um, restrained to death, I think in
0: 2008,
1: um, so this article was about the, that facility where he had been restrained to death and, um, And then it just talked about the facility and it talked about the evolution of the facility. And then it turned out like Mike Tyson had gone to that facility when he was a teenager. And then I like, it just like snowballed and snowballed. Um, And I started thinking like, wow, kids, kids in confinement would be, would potentially really benefit from all of this like amazing, like now we, I know we call them soft skills that, that we learn in theater. Um, and I was like, I really want to volunteer for somebody who's doing this work. And then, of course, I could not find anybody doing this work in New York. I found like yep. Michigan, Kentucky, California, <laughs> Texas. <laughs> and, yeah, I was like, what is happening?
0: Which is really shocking, given it's very that shocking. it is New York. Yeah. And the theater, the role of theater in New York. Right. And, like it's yeah.
1: like the theater capital of North America. Exactly. Kind of like, <laughs> what What's going on? Anyway. In my search, I found an organization called Rehabilitation Through the Arts that worked works with adults. So I was like, well, maybe I'll just like try that. And then it just happened that like a spot became available at Sing Sing, which is like the only prison they work at where you don't have to drive. That's right. And it is it has a ton of programming. Um and it's considered like a pretty coveted spot to be able to get one there. So I I did. Um And I taught there and that was like a very life-shifting experience because I, and I, this is part of my selfish reason. I didn't, I was totally unaware of this at the time, but the truth is that my father had been incarcerated before I was born for a very short amount of time. Um, It was when the carceral state looked a lot different than it does now. And it was a very, he was incarcerated for three months in a medium security prison, but I knew that that was one of the largest experiences of his life.
0: I would imagine. Yeah. Um,
1: but I wasn't thinking about any, of that, right. That was just at least not consciously.
0: Yeah. I consciously. yeah. It wasn't consciously at mm-hmm. all, which is sort of weird, but, um, well things inform us I, and shape us and move us without us necessarily knowing it's happening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so I got to sing, sing, and I was just like, and you know, it's a maximum security men's prison. So everyone was like, you're crazy. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> And like, I, I'll never forget the very first class I had. I was like, this is amazing. Like, you show up in a classroom and everyone's like, thanks you for coming.
0: <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: And then they really, really want to learn what you have to teach. Yeah. And um, and then there's all this strange social stuff happening, which is mm-hmm. part of, a huge part of this work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I love this work. And so I did that and then, once a year they have a big show at sing sing so they like rehearse it for five months and then for the last two weeks you go in like every day and like they bring in costumes and then you have to like go through all of the costumes with the COs with the correctional officers and make sure there's no it's for hours like sharp
0: things and yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah, drugs whatever they have to look through everything and it's a huge. so so i taught there for the fall of 2011 and then Then they did A Few Good Men, which is, they made that famous movie from, and so I had to audition and I got the part of the Demi Moore character. And I, so then I was like spending a lot of downtime
0: with the men and because, you know, in rehearsal. Because you were on sort of the side, the stage side, as opposed to the teaching side. Right.
1: And and like someone else might be working on a scene. So you're kind of sitting in the corner, kind of talking. And that's when I really got to know them and hear their stories. And then I was like, oh, wow. Like, this, this story, like, you don't meet rich people in prison, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. only people that come from poverty. And then another thing that people don't really, at that time, was, the, it was not necessarily talked about that much was the racial disparity, which you're like, holy shit, what is going on? Like, what is going on? Like, this is, I thought prison was where you send like criminals, but there's some clearly something else happening
0: here, right? I find it fascinating. I'm trying to sort of put myself back in a time when, as a society, we weren't really, really focused on and aware of that point you just made. Because, you know, coming up in this work, it hasn't always been as, I mean, it's always been as obvious, but it hasn't always been... Um, as fine a point in legislative conversations, policy conversations, fiscal conversations, social justice, racial justice conversations, and that's shocking to me. It's still shocking to me that yeah. you know we haven't been talking about this for forty years. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think people like advocates and lawyers and all the kind of people in the world knew about it, but like normal, you know, regular people are not in that world. That's right. So that that was really sort of like, huh, that.
0: You're like, There's this can't else. be accidental.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. There's something happening here, right. and I would like to explore this further.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, I always joke, because people will be like, oh, my God, you're going to Sing Sing, and the, you, know, you go inside the prison walls, and then you're in the room, you know what I mean? And they're just like, aren't you scared? And I was like, yeah, but these are, like, you guys don't understand, like, these are the theater nerds of Sing Sing. Like, <laughs> 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 it's like a fairy." self-selecting group of yeah. men were really pursuing knowledge in all of its forms that they can you know and they were very open with me um i was just good at the work i was good at teaching and i was good at they felt safe with me and felt so there was a lot of revealing of them. Yeah. You know, charges and convictions and storylines yeah. and past. And mm-hmm. and I just was just very struck that I was like, huh. Very few people go from like, you know, just living your life to getting landing in maximum security prison. There's right. a journey, right? Yeah. That was before I knew the term school to prison yeah. pipeline. And I was like, that's that's a thing. Um no one here is white. Everyone here grew up in poverty. Like you know yeah. what I mean? Like I was just like, and it's oh, yeah. it's the same story
0: you know, over and over, mm-hmm.
1: over and over. So then, so then I did that was really kind of life shifting for me. And then, and, you know, when I started on this journey, I was like, well, no one's doing this work in New York, but it can't possibly be me who starts it because I'm an actor and I don't have those skills, you know, but I think doing, being in that play, very first play, I was like, I moved I I think psychically, I was like, I'm not an actor anymore. This is much bigger. Mm. Um wow. And so I kept teaching. And then the next yeah. year I was in the play with them again. And then by that point I had kind of become friends with some of them. And it's when a few of them got comfortable with me, they were like, Josie, why are you here all the time? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Tell us and the truth. So trick. I was like, yeah, what's <laughs> matter with you? And I was like, Well, you know, I went on, you know, I went on this kind of journey and this is what I want to do. And when I shared about working with youth in the system, all of them were like, Oh my God, go and do that. Yeah. I wish someone had been there for me earlier
0: in this journey, right? Earlier in the journey. journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and I remember one of them just said to me, he's like, can you look around and see what you see and not do anything? And I was like,
0: Mm. no. And I would imagine there's so many people, at least in his movie, right. That probably did look around, see what they saw and do nothing. And what that, Suggests about people's sense of our shared humanity or lack of a sense of shared humanity has to be really um, scary for people right if you are there. And what you think you're seeing is people see you there. They see that nobody is white. They see that everybody grew up in poverty. They see that there is this journey that we can actually, like, note the benchmarks on the journey, right? (laughs) Like, it's the same journey. It's the, you know, police officers in elementary schools. Like, we know these things. People see these things. And they're still happening. Going back to your earlier story of sort of, nobody showed up to fix it, nobody shows up to change it. Um, So I feel like there was a real, there's a real reshaping, not just of people out in society who aren't the lawyers and the advocates and their understanding of what's really happening in these, along this journey. Um, But you're also reshaping the movie of the people in these institutions to say no there are people who are going to see what's happening and do something and show up for you and with you i think that's for me as i've gotten to know about your organization that's part of the like the just amazing power is when you shift that movie in young people's minds so much more becomes possible right their yep. their worlds become so much less contained and confined despite the walls around them
1: I think that's, it's, it's interesting you say that because I, there's a young
0: woman who is, works
1: for organization now and she is an alumni and she was asked, she was interviewed for, for like a newsletter from another organization about a mentor and she, she talked about me and what she said was that she got to see that I committed to the mission, the vision of Drama Club and that it happened and yeah. I was like, whoa, that's yeah. really deep. Yeah. Um, so sort of related to what you're just saying.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. So I just, I was kind of like, I can't go back. Like I have to go forward and I don't know how to go forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find, <laughs> it's hard to find a juvenile detention center when you don't know what it's called, where it is, who runs it, what jurisdiction, yeah. you know? So I was like, email. I was just like Googling and Googling and Googling. And I finally found this video with this woman talking about programs inside these facilities. <laughs> I was like, and I just, I literally paused the video and I typed in her name and like her information came up and I called her and I was like, I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, uh-huh. uh huh." And then she goes, I'm so sorry, but we don't have money. And she started to hang up and I just blurted I'm fully funded. I don't know why yeah. I said that. It was a total lie.
0: Was it not your Oh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I don't even no. You know, and it's that's really where the power of it.
0: manifestation comes in because now yeah, you, you just have to make it happen. <laughs> and she goes,
1: Oh, really? You want to meet me in the porter, corner of like Eastern Parkway in Munica? And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I, like met around the corner in Brooklyn and she drove me down to crossroads and then and then we got there. And then that and then they said, Oh, we don't really need any more programming. Thank you very much. And she was like, No, you're gonna do this programming. <laughs> she yeah. worked for ACS. Um, yeah.
0: And that's how it started. I love it. I love that. That's, there's so many strands to that origin story that are personal and about listening. I think one of the hardest things about getting an organization off the ground is the process of integrating what you're seeing and hearing and learning into your own vision of what you think you're building. You know, and, you know, you, you sometimes you don't want to let go. You're like, but I started to do this thing. I started, right. you know, and what's fascinating and really wonderful about your journey is that it almost sort of came the other way, that you arrived at what to do and how to do it by taking in information, by seeing what's needed, what's missing, where is there this opportunity for transformation? Um yeah. And now here we are, <laughs> years later, progr- you know, funded, actual, real funding and, you know. St- <laughs> um, so, so how can people learn more, get involved? What is the work that people can do with your organization if they are um, moved to do so?
1: That's a great and hard question. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Isn't it just easier if you're like, you can come paint a wall with us? Like, it, know, would like so <laughs> it would be so much easier.
1: It would be so much easier. Because we have this huge core value of consistency, it's, a, it's, it's not really, we don't really have volunteers. Because A, we need to be able to hold you accountable. And B, it's not, you can't just drop in. I mean, you have to get cleared and fingerprinted and whatnot to, you know, work in these spaces. You have to give me at least at least six months, if not a year. Um, yep. And so it makes volunteerism very hard. People can, I mean, people can always fundraise for us, which I know is not super sexy, but um, maybe it is for some. Um, board service is a way to be involved. Um, being a being like an advocate and getting the word out is a way to be involved. Yeah. Becoming an audience member, we do we have community shows. We have this great community program. Um, in partnership with the door, which is an amazing,
0: amazing, organization, yeah.
1: And they, we don't, you know, we're we're tiny. We don't have a brick and mortar, and so we have this great exchange where we're kind of their in-house theater program. And then um, with the deal that, like, our kids when they come home can kind of find us, and they get all the benefits of the door. And then all the kids at the door can come to drama club, and then we do performances. Um, we're doing one this Thursday, a Juneteenth performance. Um, at a theater in Soho, it's very exciting. So being just being an audience member, just coming and supporting the kids is,
0: is huge, you know yeah, it's part of the showing up, right? Yes yeah, so, exactly um and and what I love about your answer to this question is, you know, I was joking about the planting a garden, but you know, I think it can be tougher with organizations where the involvement, the way in isn't as simple as, you know, show up, participate in some of our programs and you'll learn what we do um but what I hear you saying is you know learn about the issue and show up in support right show up as an audience member and that's the doorway into being an advisor being an ambassador being an advocate um you know I think a lot of the work that you guys do is with the young people and then there's this sort of changing the water we swim in Mm right um that I think I would imagine you could use a lot of help with.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. I think that's a huge piece of it. Um, You know, it's a very complex system um, and it's very, it's not, you know, there's kind of these kind of like large ideas of like, we should not have, you know, we shouldn't have juvenile detention and we shouldn't, you know what I mean? And uh, it's so much more complex than that because it really is, a symptom of a much larger yeah. or much larger issues. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I always say to people, I was like the, you know, the ground zero of this work is the fact that some kids are dying to get back into the facilities because they have a bed, they get fed, wow. and they have a shower. Yeah.
0: So that's the thing. That's where we need to aim. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So,
0: well, I always love talking with you um, and I love you talking too. about your work and this has been really just a great sort of journey Um through your own life's experience and through what Drama Club does with the young people and the people that it works with and for, um, w- share your website and where people can go to learn more about your work and the issues that you focus on. I know in coming months you'll have just more information going out mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. folks about these issues so that folks can become more informed and figure out, you know, where they can, um, they can help make a difference. So share where people can go to learn more.
1: Great. So our website is www.dramaclub.org. We are on uh, Instagram. It's drama club NYC, Facebook, drama club NYC, Twitter, drama club NYC. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Love
0: consistency.
1: Yeah. Consistency. Um, Yeah. And, um, and join our mailing list because that's where Yep. We blast out about our shows, even though they tend to be sort of last minute. Um, that's yeah. And, and newsletters. And you just, that's a great way to learn more to join our mailing list.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Josie. It was great talking to you.
1: <laughs> thank you so much, Brooke.
0: Have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the nonprofit mastermind podcast if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe on apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts and if you think what we talk about here the trainings and the guests and the conversations could benefit another leader in your life i'd love if you would leave a review and share with your friends if you want to take the next step and begin to put into practice what we talk about on this podcast i've created a toolkit where i collect and share downloads from many of our conversations It's got templates, worksheets, and references to help you execute on what we talk about here on The Mastermind. There's lots of great stuff and I add to it almost every week. You can download it at richiebabbage.com backslash architecture of impact toolkit. I also want to share another free resource for leaders of growing nonprofits. It's a free training that's called what got you here won't get you there. The four questions you need to ask to know if your nonprofit is really ready to scale. Growing an organization doesn't happen by accident. As we all know, you have to take the right strategic steps at the right time to avoid overwhelm and burnout and that horrible feeling that so many of us have had as you watch the work of your organization outstrip capacity and sometimes even funding it's almost impossible to reverse engineer good growth and by that i mean growth that can be sustained over time just by looking at what you think you see in other organizations so in this free training i help cut through all the noise and I identify the four simple questions that, if you really engage with them and think about them, will tell you when you're ready to grow, without frenzy, without overwhelm, and with the confidence that you're making the right moves for your organization. You can access the training at richybabbagecom backslash scale. If you'd like more leadership resources and strategies in your life, sign up for my weekly newsletter, Leadership Forward 321. Each week I curate and share 3 articles, 2 resources and a quote on a theme. You can get that at richybabbage.com/leadershipforward321. That's all for now. Have a great week and I'll see you back here next week for more mastermind.